This is Happy Massey, and you're listening to Daddio FM. Hello and welcome to Daddio FM, broadcasting live from West Hollywood, California. Joining us today in studio is production designer Happy Massey. We'll be talking production design, Madonna, and his new book, Diary of a Set Designer. I'm your host, Jonathan Bookalil, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, Happy, and welcome to Daddy OFN. Thank you. <laughs> it's Hello, nice Jonathan. to have you here. Happy is an old friend of mine, as most in the podcast are, and uh, we've known each other probably for about 20 years now, I think. And um, I met him one day in New York with a previous guest of mine, uh, Johnny Green, director and old friend of Happy's as well. How long have you been living in, in New York, Happy? I've been in New York for 32 years now. 32 years, wow. And um, mm. you must have seen some changes over the years. And what, what were some of your earliest memories of, of New York? Were you a young man? Were you, had you just arrived? Well, no, my earlier memories were pre my, my official move to New York. Right. As you know, or as I'm about to tell you, I was born in France and grew up in France, but American parents... And every other summer, we would go back to the States and visit my grandmother and relatives and stuff like that. And my uncle lived in New York City. Okay. So I've been going to New York City since the 60s. Wow. And I can tell you, it was a very different city. Yeah. I and mean, it was like... <laughs> do, you, do you remember, like, um, do you remember anything from New York? I remember... What your er- earliest memories of New York? My earliest memories, I mean... I don't know if it's my earliest memory, but these vivid memories that I have are, you know, sense memories of New York. Walking down Greenwich Avenue, for instance, and having all these head shops and the incense and listening to the Grateful Dead, you know, because every store on Greenwich Avenue before it became like shoe stores and restaurants and luggage stores were head shops where you would buy... So hemp shops or... Head. Head, okay. Where you'd buy... I mean, rolling papers, Ah, pipes. Okay, right, 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 right. Posters, tie dye t shirts. Right, 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 right. Incense. All the accoutrements. All all the accoutrements (laughs) that you can still get, but, you know, in a very different kind of way. It's all like, you know, E everything now. My uncle lived on West 11th Street, and so when I was, you know, like in in the mid 60s, my dad would walk me down Greenwich Avenue and we'd go into stores, and I remember buying my first, you know, Grateful Dead record. and incense and patches to sew on my jeans, right. you know, an American flag, right. you know, all that sort of... I think, have I seen an early photo of you in some denim jacket covered in patches and things like that? Was you might have, you might have. Yeah. I mean, I have a, I've got plenty of them, and, you know, <laughs> I don't like to show them because it kind of dates me a little bit. Uh, but. A little bit, but that's okay. Um, we have a very wide audience here from, from, the, from young to old, so I think we're about in the, in, in the middle. So just let's talk about New York and, you know, how it's changed over the years. And did you, what were we always in New York City, downtown, uptown? I was always, I was pretty much always downtown, yeah. you know, and, and my first apartment was on St. Mark's Place in um, 1979. Wow. 99 St. Mark's Place. And um, <laughs> I would, my aunt lived uptown, which was our headquarters because yeah. we were kids, you know, and, you know, that's, we didn't have any money. And so every dinner was on the Upper West Side okay. and then we'd take a cab or the subway down to Astor Place. And if you took a cab, he would drop you off at Astor Place and right. you would have to walk from Astor Place to St. Mark's Place between A and B, or right. first and A, rather. 
because they wouldn't take you there. No. It was just too dangerous. Um, so that's, you know, that's the, the New York that I remember mm. that I actually love. It's, it's very Robert Frank, you right. know, that neighborhood, you know, the burnt out buildings yeah. and the cars on cinder blocks, you know, yeah. no wheels and, you know, that's the, you know, the New York, you know, my first impression of New York as a young adult, you know, mm. coming back from, you know, CBGBs and walking yeah. the, you know, the Lower East Side. And so you actually, you know, the CB, CBGBs is now unfortunately closed and, um, but you, Arvados. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> sadly. Sad but true, but uh, you know that I think that uh, that store on Greenwich Avenue now is a, uh, yeah, a is a Chase it's Bank. A, it's an AT and T store. <laughs> yeah. um, so, w- do you remember a, a show that you saw at uh, CBGBs? I mean, Blondie, Talking Heads, The Ramones. Yeah, I mean, I've seen everybody there. I mean, not just at CBGBs, but you know that was the go-to place that yeah. you would go to as a kid. Uh, that's amazing. So you were there right in the definitive era of, of yeah. CBGBs yeah, and yeah. all that music yeah, yeah. scene. So that's really interesting. That must have really contributed Late. to your headspace and your thought process. Well, it definitely influenced. I mean, it still influences. I mean, obviously, if I'm working on a show, you know, that takes place in New York, then mm. you know that I can use that as an inspiration yeah. for designing something, then, it, you know, those are the best years of New York. I yeah. mean, the, you know, the turning point in New York was 9-11. Right. Mayor Giuliani. Yeah, there was kind of like, uh, I think back then there was just that absence of safety. That, that, mm-hmm. that, that, that was always a bit of an adventure. I, I first came there when I was 19, and it was chaos. Right. No, but there was a certain innocence, you know, and mm-hmm. you just sort of... There were no rules. Right, know? yeah. And you just went, you know, you'd jump the turnstiles. You'd get held up at gunpoint, yeah. you know, which all of those <laughs> things happened to me, you know, getting stopped for jumping the turnstile. And, um, but, you know, all those things happened, but they were just part of a city that was, you know, it was an exciting place. I always have this image of, you know, when you're driving in from JFK and you, you, you come over the, you know, yeah. you're on the BQE and you come over the bridge there and you see the city just lit up at night, yeah. you know, and it's just Laid like amazing and, and you're listening to WPLJ or whatever, you right. know, and it's just like your home, you know. Yeah. Even I still get that every now and then, but it just doesn't have the same thing because, you know, I feel like that city has become, you know, just a little bit more sterile. It's just yeah. become, you know, America. Right. Whereas, you know, right. when I was That's a kid and I would come yeah. back to New York, I always, or I'd come to the States, I always felt like there was New York yeah. and then there was the rest of the United States. Right. But New York had its own entity, you know, it was its own place, it had its own set of rules, it had its own character, charm, you yeah. know. You know, the New York of Woody Allen. And now I just feel like it's just, you know, just another homogenous city. It is in many ways. And it's a shame where all the the privately owned cafes, restaurants, stores are all going by the wayside. But I was speaking to someone on on the plane coming back from London, and they were telling me how they been in New York for the first time and the, the energy of the city was incredible and it was like no one, nowhere else that, that you've seen before. So I wonder if like every, and of course, every 10 uh, years. You know? No, but everybody still has that impression because yeah. New York does have an energy that you're not going to find anywhere no. else. However, if you compare it to the energy of the you know, late 70s, right. 80s, right. even sort of going Which into the 90s. Which really, is really definitive yeah. time of, yeah. of New York where it I mean, really defined itself. You know, I mean, it was the, the, the beginning of the art scene, the yeah. pop scene, you yeah. know, the Madonna era, you know, yeah. the Basquiat era, you know. the. I mean, it was just a very formative time. Absolutely. And there was an energy that... It was a city that was based on the arts. Yeah, also. Yeah, and that's it. And now it's a city that's still buzzing, based on money, on corporate America, on Disney, and and whatnot. Whatever is, you know, that's fueling the city right now Mm. is not the same as what it was back in the 80s. And, you know, the integrity of that 
those years to me is greater than what's fueling the city today. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just to go back to the CBGB, because I'm fascinated by that period, and because when I was growing up, it was we was all talking heads and Blondie that we were listening to, and in our bedrooms at home, and going to um, going to the theatres to, to to see the Stop Making Sense movie, and everyone dancing around. And does anything kind of spark from a, a from a show that you saw of the, of that era? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, there are certain stories I can't tell you. <laughs> I'd be telling too much, but you know, just seeing Johnny Thunders, right? You know, and the Heartbreakers on Amazing. stage. You know, yeah. Johnny Thunders, as we all know, was pretty severe heroin addict, and he would wear these sleeves. You know, kind of like basketball sleeves that you see on players today, but they were these right. sleeves. And I guess it was to cover up his tracks or whatever. <laughs> right. But you would see him play guitar, and you would see the you know the blood sort of oozing through wow. these sleeves, you know. <laughs> and I would be looking at him, going, "Oh my God, this is so rock and roll." Yeah, you right? know? yeah, yeah. And, and this guy is sitting, standing, you know, twenty feet away from you, you know, playing you know Chinese rock or whatever. And it was just like, <laughs> just mind blowing to seeing that in front of me. I mean, but you know, there are tons of stories, you know, yeah, CBGBs, you know. Of course, but it, I think it's also that um, access that you probably would have had. I don't know if you felt at the time there was like real music, uh, musical happening, you know, like a defining era. Did, did you get that sense of you were somewhere special or was it just somewhere that everyone was no, going? But, I mean, you know, it's not, you know, today, you know, you have to buy your tickets in advance, you know, you yeah. have to go to Ticketmaster and it's a nightmare and you try to get VIP passes, the whole right. thing. You know, when you wanted to go see these bands before, whether you went to the... CBGBs or Max's Kansas City or you know Danceteria whatever right. all these places you just just bought your ticket and, yeah. and you were in you yeah know? It didn't right. matter you know yeah. it didn't matter who you were what race what nothing you were just there right. so there wasn't any Mastercard preferred no. seating down the front <laughs> no, no sadly, top area. sadly. <laughs> <laughs> were there like a seat and way to service no uh, that, that's great um, but let's uh, let's uh, so happy's a production designer and and like it's taken me many years to to figure out exactly the definition of of, of that job title because it means so many things I think and depending on, on on what format you're working on whether you're in a film a commercial or on, or on a photo shoot. Tell us, uh, tell us what you do, Happy. All right. Well, I'm, I'm a production designer. So, yeah. um, you know, I never really understood what that term was until I, many years ago I was working here in Los Angeles and for a company called The Artist Company. And the owner of the car, a company called Roberto Ciccini came up to me. He was Italian, Canadian-Italian. And he came up to me and he said, you know, Happy, you're one of the most talented production designers. And I was like... Hmm, production designer. I know I've seen that yeah. on on many film credits, but I didn't quite understand the term. You know, I was always sort of like the art guy, right. the art guy, and so he elevated me to production designer, right. and, and so I sort of held on to that title. But the, you know, the title of a production designer, technically, on a movie set, is mm. you're in you're in charge of the design, the look of the movie, right. So you're in charge. You design the entire production, right? And does that go from set design to to what it, it does goes that cover? From, it, it covers everything. Mm. You're, you're covering the look, the aesthetic of the movie, outside of wardrobe, right? Because right. Then, you yeah, have, right, right. then you have a costume designer. Costume but you know, designer, there are, right. there are, you know, Basil Luhrmann's wife right. does costume and production design. Right. I only stick to production design, so I'm in charge of. Everything from the, the actual sets that are designed and mm. built mm -hmm. to the furniture, the wallpapers, the knife and fork, right. the car, the everything. Right. So um, under me, I have an art director and I have then, you know, 
set decorators and I have construction companies right. crews and and because I think that that's where the 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 reality of a production comes from and the be belief of a production. Of, of a movie comes from it is when you see and don't see the detail in the set. When the when the when the the, the detail of a set allows you to to suspend your belief and, and mm -hmm. dive into the movie. And if there's anything that doesn't feel quite right or over designed or, or tries too hard, it kind of takes you out of the experience. So so I th yeah, it, it's. It's something you you are not continually aware of as a as a uh, as a viewer as a moviegoer, but it, it's so important to the to the process. Mm -hmm. Well, that's you know that's the dilemma that us production designers <laughs> live with. Most people will come up to you and say, "Well, what did you do?" Yeah. So you should be flattered by that question because right. that means you did your job right. They didn't notice what you did. Or you're a little pissed because, you know, I, mean, I did a it lot. It should have you, a look. Yeah, but you're not noticing, you know. So, you know, it's a, you know, a double-edged sword. As a production designer, I, I'm in charge of the aesthetic and therefore, yeah. you know, of, of the whole picture. And that's why I'm hired. Yeah. I'm not hired because I'm, you know, a great painter. I, I mean, I don't do that, you know. I'm, right. I'm above that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're not texturizing <laughs> no. the walls then. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is like I'm in, I'm just in charge of the aesthetic, yeah. and so I try to make everything look real and try to make everything. But with a certain style. With as a well. certain style, you yeah. know, and the style doesn't necessarily come from me. You know, it'll mm. come from the director. You mm. know, he'll he'll introduce a style or he'll suggest right. a style, and then I'm to go take that and, mm. and, and you know and go with it. And is the process with that like you, you you're given the script, you come up with your own way, and then discuss with the director? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, it depends on what you're working on. You know, because I do everything from fashion to commercials. I used to do a lot of music videos, which I don't do anymore mm. so i do fashion commercials feature films and i dabbled in broadway shows so <laughs> haven't we all darling of course <laughs> in my spare time yes, exactly. <laughs> no but um so you know when you're when you're working on a movie and that's when you're a production designer usually yeah. when you're on a on a music video you're an art director right. you know um, you know, and when you're doing fashion, you're just the prop guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, prop guy. Yeah. Happy getting me a lamp. The prop stylist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. But basically, it's the same thing. But you know, on on a feature, you're responsible for a lot more. And yeah. basically, There's different yeah, scales, right? Yeah. Basically, you're given a script. You read the script. You go over it with the director. You obviously you know the period, you know the you, you know the action, you know the locations and everything, and then you work hand in hand with the director. You help him find the locations. You pick the locations. Right, right. That's interesting. And yeah. and, and and everything that's done in, in a studio, you start designing and you start you know spitballing, mm. and you you and your team, and then yeah. you, you you present stuff to the director, and you start putting mood boards, and you start creating. You know, once the look has been established, you start getting specific. Okay, well, this is going to be Joe's room. This is going to be, you know, Cynthia's bedroom, whatever, mm. you know. And you just have to start, you know, you start designing the, the movie, yeah. you know. And I'm sure there are those moments where, you, where you've gone to see the finished product and you have designed this beautiful room and it's full of detail and, and it's a close-up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's the bane that's of the our... Same the bane of our yeah. yeah, it's anything, you exactly. know. So how did you um, get into this? You were, you, you know, knighted a production designer that day, but how did you actually find yourself on, on a set, you so know, doing this? Well, the way it's, it happened, I... I um, 
It all started in a bar. Yeah, of as course. As most yeah. jobs do. As most stories. I was good a, uh, stories do. <laughs> I, exactly. I was in a bar. <laughs> I was in a bar. Um, and a little drunk, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, no, I was working behind a bar in Paris, and right. my fellow bartender was an unemployed architect. Mm. And I bumped into him on the streets about a year later, and after our summer of slinging gin... I bump into him and he tells me he's, you know, designing movies and would I like to work with him? I'd been to art school. I had a degree in, in applied arts. Yeah. And I was like, I'd love to. I had no idea what to do with my life. Right. And I had this degree that was useless. Right. And I was like, okay, fine. Right. You know, I'd but obviously you sort of like, um, you know, and this, this comes up time and time again on, on, on Daddy OFM. It is like it didn't seem like the office life was for you. The, no, <laughs> absolutely not. I had actually tried the office life um, working in an advertising agency. Right. And that just went tits up. Yeah. I mean, it, wasn't, it was just not for me. So anyway, when I run into this guy and he offers me you know, a job working on a movie set, I was like, absolutely. You know? and, and my first job was painting. You know, I was painting the sets. But I sort of got, I got, I don't know if I so much got a taste for it as much as I got sort of like an interest. I was, right. my, it piqued my interest. Right. And not to, th- I had no idea that I wanted to become a production designer, but it was like there was something, it was creative, you were making things with your yeah. hands, you were, yeah. I mean, these movies that we worked on were very low budget, so everybody was pitching in, you right. know, it's not like, you know, some of the things that I work on now where, you know, you you actually do sit in an office, but right. you're still doing something creative, but, so anyway, that was my first taste um, of production design, and then when I moved to New York um, in the mid-80s, I had no idea what to do yeah. and so i went to theater, theatrical school nice. and i went to this school called lester polikoff and mm-hmm. he's a he was a theater designer and so i learned about theater design and one thing led to another and i was doing theater work yeah but i would say again you know back to the old bar i would hang out a lot in a bar called um in a restaurant in new york called raul's on prince right, street right. and i met a director <laughs> called michael hausman right and, ah, okay. and you know you've heard of michael yeah, hausman yeah, yeah. i'm sure so michael hausman and i became friends one day he was going off to do a music video in mexico for martica right and um, she had a, a hit song called Toy Soldiers, which isn't the song that we did. We did yeah. actually a better song that Prince actually wrote. But we did this song called Love, I Will Be Done in Mexico. And he asked me if I wanted to be the production designer. I mean, the set designer or whatever, if I wanted to come and help out. Yeah. Absolutely. Like Mexico? Know, come on. Mexico. <laughs> so I'd never been. He called the producer, and the producer said, absolutely not. We yeah. can't afford it. This is a $6,000 music video. We can't right. afford him. But he insisted, and finally I got on the job, so we fly to Mexico. And basically, you know, we never, I mean, he didn't look back. That was one of his first jobs, and I didn't look back. And yeah, and, and, and look, speaking with um, Johnny Green on, 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 the, on an earlier podcast, and we were talking about his production design days, it's almost like the production designer becomes a bit of a sounding board and, and, a, and a, a, someone that the director can trust and, and to, to bounce yeah, ideas no, off I, and, and collaborate absolutely. with. You collaborate with these people so in, in, intensely that you know you become a team you yeah. know and it's usually you know it's there are three people involved in this team you know it's the director the production designer and the cinematographer mm. and all three we get involved you know because 
I can come up with a solution that's not going to work for the cinematographer. He can come up with something, but it's not going to work with the director. So we all we really have to work together, right. and it's like a you know three man operation. And mm. then you know the producer obviously is part of the team because he, he just comes in and says we can't afford it. <laughs> can't <have> anything, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just um, get one fork exactly. Um, so anyway, so that's that's pretty much how it all started. We did this music video with Michael Hausman, and um, and then just started working one job led to another led to another and we sort of moved to moved into the chateau marmont in los angeles <laughs> you know the rooms were a hundred dollars a night and we'd take one room because that's right. all we could afford yeah but you're at the chateau, yeah, we so the chateau. <laughs> and um and and that's sort of the, that's how it all started you know yeah. Yeah. And, and and so with the chateau i wanted to talk to you about um you uh, growing up in in Paris because you were you were born in France in Paris I believe and uh, and I really think that uh, uh, that that life life defines your creativity your experiences define your creativity and and and, and certainly growing where you grew up and what you were exposed to is a big part of, a big part of that and 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 for me growing up in Australia it was. It was it was such an isolated place, but but I had an amazing cousin who was so interested in, in music, and and so I almost felt that I had uh, my training just sitting there watching music video after music video after music video, and it really kind of uh, uh, kind of helped define my uh, added to my creativity. So, can you talk to us about uh, growing up in Paris and 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 how that differed to the U.S. and and, and how it maybe influenced your creative life. So I, I get this question a lot because a lot of people are like, oh, my God, you grew up in Paris. That's so amazing. How different was it? Well, it wasn't different because I didn't know different. Right. You know, for me, it was just growing up in Paris. Mm. If I'd mm. grown up in Bucharest, it would mm. have been, oh, I grew up in Bucharest. Yeah. You know? So it's only now. Right. Not now. But I mean, in, that's you know, more, more, my, what I, more what I mean. Right. Is that and, the experiences from The then. experiences... I, st- I was able to, you know, dip into those experiences and use them to my benefit mm. in my in my career as a production designer because mm. obviously I was exposed to to a world that you know the the old world you right. know, that not a lot of people you know just you know the, the aesthetics you know mm. and just everything you know the smells everything yeah. you know I mean and I, I was just in Paris and and I I, I found it was the uh, the simplicity of of the design there, <coughs> excuse me, and the and the uh, almost the repetitive nature of of, of Paris of, of its look and you know you you know that when you're in a in a Paris cafe and and, and that sort of thing was was that anything? Obviously, there there are pieces of you know of Paris that I've used in, in in my work, whether I'm designing for. I mean, I you know I remember a long time ago we did a, a commercial for a German um, insurance company. And we shot it in Los Angeles. And even though we went to Germany for meetings and all that, and I sort of absorbed, you know, the German culture for a few days to use specifically for that that commercial, I also remember, you know, using tapping into my own personal wealth of, you yeah. know, of of information and references, um, and used it on that commercial because mm. you know, growing up in Europe, you know, whether you're in Germany or in France, I mean, you're still sort of you're in, you're Europe. in Europe, so you can tap into that. So I yeah. mean, I have a source of references that probably, you know, an American production mm. designer wouldn't have, no. but the experience that the, the the guy that grew up in New York, yeah. 
is equally vast and important. You know, exactly. So for me, you know, when people say how different was it, it wasn't different. It was just what it's I just way, what way I was exposed were, to. Right. You know, and if, is there a, a a feeling or a, or a color or, or or something that would kind of um, sum up your 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 growing up in Paris? Is there something that, that how would you define your feeling of Paris? Mm, that's a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, women. <laughs> uh, Expand. I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just you know the 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 centuries, you know, of, right. of, of architecture and and you know, I mean, just the age, you know. Mm. The, I don't even know how to describe, you know, what I'm trying to say. But I mean, it's just you. You know, I lived so many things, you know, in Paris. And, mm. you know, I was there in the 60s and the 70s. And it was May 68, which was, you know, the, the, the French Revolution. I mean, not the revolution, but, right. you know, a... You're not that old, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that the make cake. You're going to cut that out. <laughs> no, no, that's saying it. <laughs> but May 68, I remember going down, you know, my sister was really involved in, you know, in all the demonstrations. And we went to the Sorbonne right. and, you know, seeing, the, you know, the cobblestones ripped up from the streets right. and the burning cars and the shattered stores and all of that. You know, I mean, that was... Not a lot of people in America can say that they witnessed something like that, mm. you know. Mm. And, you know, because of Europeans are a lot more politically involved, I feel, mm. from a young age. You're exposed to just so much more stuff, I think, as a, as a young student in, right. in, in, in France, or I was anyways. I mean, I remember we'd go, you know, we'd go, the schools would go on strike, and we'd right. go demonstrating at yeah. 14 years old, you know. Yeah. We'd take our little moped helmets, you yeah. know, and wear, you know, bandanas. Mouth, yeah. But um, That's a good look. It was a good look. <laughs> but um, I don't know. You know, I just feel like that's, that's all the stuff that, you know, I, I, you know, that I grew up with and that impressed me or right. was impressed upon me. Looking at your book, uh, like, uh, it seems you're drawn to old things. And, and I, I found that, that it was the how almost worn things were. Was, it was like the, the tables were worn, the, the, the streets were worn, the, the, the entrances to, to cafes and... And it was just kind of this lived-in feel that, mm -hmm. that Paris has over New, especially now over New York. It seems like it's you know, New York's a bit of a movie set now. You know, as an outsider, when I look at your work, I do see Paris come through in, in a very specific way of mm -hmm. just just that lived-in feel that I feel that Paris has. Right, after just the, it again. yeah, the textures. Yeah, you know, just the textures that you don't. I mean, obviously, you know, New York is just as old. You know, which is why they're rebuilding it right now, and they're just. The construction is crazy. Right, you yeah. know, I mean, it's just unlivable right now. <laughs> but um, and because they want to get unlivable, <laughs> they want to get rid of all of that. You yeah. know, they want to get rid of what was made New York cool. But they kind right. of have to because you know, like a building in New York doesn't stand the test of time and it will collapse. Right. Right. Whereas you know, right. you still have cathedrals that were built, you know, in the 16th century. That's it. You know, and they're still standing and they're going to be there for yeah. another 300 yeah. years. You know, yeah. obviously, you know. it's difference between sheet rock and stone yeah there you, you go know, there right you go. that's it that's <laughs> it all right well let's go back to to your your glittering career and um let's talk about some of your your work as a production designer um uh, uh, so your first job was down into down in uh, mexico with michael hausman do you, do you remember another standout of of uh, your early career when you started to, to feel like okay, okay i know this i like this this is what I want to do as a career. Soon after that video, we came back to L.A. and we did a video for Joe Cocker. And then we did, you know, another one for a band called Gang of Four, which right. was like 
this cult band that I grew up with. Yeah. I mean, it was just so cool, you yeah. know, to be working with these idols of yours. Yeah. And I remember when I saw Woodstock and I saw, you know, Joe Cocker sing and it just felt like he had a band-aid, you know, when he was singing, he had a band-aid right. on his finger that he was trying to get rid of, you know. <laughs> and then here he is in front of me, you know, right doing there. the same thing. You right. know, it was just, it was really cool. Yeah. You know, in the beginning, it was just exciting. It wasn't about the money. It yeah. wasn't about, you know, but it was, you know, it was about traveling and going yeah. to these great places. And, you know, Michael Hausman loves a great hotel, so we'd always right. stay in the best hotel. <laughs> And, and, you know, I think cut to doing, you know, the Madonna video in, yeah. in, in Spain. And I think that was in 1994 for Take a Bow, you know. Mm. I remember the budget was, you know, for the time was huge, you know. And that was the, that was the, uh, what was the song? The song was... Uh, Take a Bow. With Take a Bow. With, the, with, with, the, it was... with Emilio Munoz, the bullfighter. Yeah. And it was all about bullfighting. So, of course, you know, there were some issues that we had there. And even, and not to say back then again, but there were still issues then, of course, doing the music video based on bullfighting. And there yeah, were, yeah. In, the, in the killing of the bulls. And right. Peter was already involved. You know, right. Peter, who's, you know... Oh, actually, they were huge in the 80s, weren't they? They Peter? were. Yeah. <laughs> they've been, I feel like they've been huge forever, but, yeah. I mean, they're still huge. Well, talk, take us through your experience on that because that was a, one. Uh, that was a, probably one of my favorite Madonna videos. A beautiful, beautifully shot, and I know that you guys spend a, a lot of time out there. And Michael spent a lot of time with the bullfighters and yeah, became yeah, yeah. quite well, Michael, close. Michael, with them. I mean, I think the, like every commercial or music video director, you know, Michael had an, was obsessed with bullfighting, and so when he was asked to do a music video for Madonna, he was like, okay, let's do it about bullfighting, yeah. you know, I mean, that's... <laughs> You've been wanting to do that, that video for years. I know. So we we got Emilio Munoz involved, and we got... Michael wrote his script, and we were all set to go, and then the production sort of got interrupted by PETA, yeah. who heard about it, because at the time we were going to be actually killing bulls for the, right. the music video. And um, so it was filmed as part of a, a real bullfight. We were going to stage it. Right. We were going to stage it, but because of, I mean, I've, and of course, you know, at the time I was, without telling Michael, but I was sort of siding with Peter. You know, I was like, right. Michael, why are we going to kill bulls for a music video? <laughs> yeah, and, we don't need to do you this know, Everybody today. got Michael Stipes got involved. Everybody just was wow. writing Madonna and asking her not to do it. And so finally, we worked our way around it. You know, and we managed to do it without any killing. You know, but Michael, you know, likes to do cinema verite. You sure. know, and he wanted to do it so anyways but we we ended up not doing that but i had very little exposure to to, to bullfighting mm. other than seeing it on television you know mm. but i fly in to to madrid and check into my hotel and i turn and it was in the middle of um it was no actually it was right at the end of bullfighting season and i saw a couple of bullfights on tv you know and you realize you're still like yeah this kind of sucks you know mm. i mean the poor bull you know it doesn't really stand a chance but then once we got into production and we were in the, you know, in the arena and you see these bulls and you see, you know, I mean, it's... Oh, look, the bravery of a bullfighter is, is insane. Question. I yeah. mean, the insanity of going into a ring with a bullfighter is beyond. You know, I understand the bullfighting and the controversy again, but, it, but it, it's, you know, you know, I keep coming to, back to this in my, in my podcast because I've been listening to a, a lot of, of evolutionary things and... It's we're so so short removed from being in tribes and hunting that that this is this seems to be still part of humans' DNA. This this <clears throat> this rite of passage. This 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 time to prove yourself. This this you know, for want of a better phrase, being a man and 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 it it's, is still part of human culture. And so I think it, it, it's a difficult choice to make and in, in, in bullfighting though, especially once you see 
that bravery and the, the, the confrontation between the two. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I think, you know, this is a whole separate argument. You know, this is, you know, obviously, you know, yes, I agree with what you're saying, and I also disagree with, you know, the killing of animals, yeah. you know, gratuitously. <laughs> I mean, it seems ridiculous. Just for this, yeah. You know, let's Sunday afternoon, let's go kill a bull in yeah, front no, of 5,000 people, yeah. you know, and torture it, you know, yeah. let's maim it first, you know, and so... But I'm not sort of like defending bullfighting, bull but I, 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 it's the, the going back to the bravery of it. I mean, it, no, it's, the bravery it's is, is no question, now. no yeah. question. I mean, we were in the ring, you know, with these bulls. I mean, I wasn't, but he was, and you know, we didn't, you know. I mean, obviously they. They do. They prep the bull, mm. you know, prior to a fight, just to weaken him right. slightly, you yeah. know. And we weren't doing even any of that, you know. Right. So the bull was full force, you know. Right. And Emilio steps into the ring. <laughs> he was even not too. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I think he was a little nervous. I mean, right. who wouldn't be? It didn't, it didn't look like it. He, like, he had that he stoic yeah, look on his face, that face of stone. Yeah, that's the magic of videos. Yeah. <laughs> Emilio and I sort of became close on right. the on, on the on the video. We were there for a long time, for like mm. two three weeks did go up to him afterwards and i said you know i have to you know pull my hat off it's impressive you know mm -hmm. what you do is impressive and you know we had to talk about it and i you know i salute it's 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 crazy i mean i i, I don't know you know it's, it's you know it's about 20 30 years since we've done this mm -hmm. video you know so it's a long time ago but i remember just thinking you know okay you know i'm not gonna you know knock bullfighting right because of everything that you've said and you know it's very heroic and it's right. it's, 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 a and the, it's, and it's part is, of the culture too yeah. i mean it's not and it that, is their culture yeah, yeah it's their culture and it, it is what it is you know yeah. whether you agree with it or not is a whole different thing yeah absolutely absolutely i mean i'm not here to defend or or, or you know put down bullfighting but it, it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing especially now looking back on them because things are changing in in spain and and, and the yeah, bullfighting I mean, is seen in a whole different light and and as you say, it's 20, 20 years ago or more, and um, and it was definitely in a different light. Right. Then. I mean, it, but you know, like you were saying, it's like it's a cultural thing. It's not like you know what the Japanese do in in in, right. in, in Saudi, you know, where they you know mass murder dolphins, you yeah, know, just exactly. because whatever. I mean, it's just like yeah. that's. And talk to us about then then um, your involvement in the in in the shoot and and uh, and. Uh, what sort of things you brought to it, and, and, and yeah, just to, to, to well, you know, your, I mean, your you, job I don't on know the if day. How, how well you remember the video, but there's a sort of retro quality to mm. it. Everything from the cars that we've used, the locations, you know, even though it's meant to be a contemporary video, yeah. we wanted to give it sort of an old time. And what are some of the techniques that you would use to to? Give it that age. Well, I think, you know, a lot of them are camera techniques. We used right. a lot of, you know, like chocolate filters right. and desaturated the video a lot. Right. So it does and it was shot in video or in film? On film. Oh, no, no, it was all shot on right. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the cinematographer is now um, no longer with us. His name is Harris Savidis, and mm. I actually have a picture of him side by side with a bull. Oh, yeah? In the book, yeah. yeah. he's uh, He was one of the greatest cinematographers. Yeah. He's worked with Woody Allen, Gus Van Zandt, right. and... And he was very sort of instrumental in my career. We did a music video right. years ago for Keith Richards. Yeah. And he sort of became my surrogate agent, you know. Right. Oh, that, yeah. He would introduce me to directors and say, you have Amazing. to use this guy. And I, I adored him. And he's now, um, he died a few years ago. Months up. Um, but anyway, so, he, you know, a, a lot of the, the, the look of the film, of the, the video, was based on the film. And yeah. then everything that I had, everything that I added, actually, was sort of just taking Spain and 
expanding on that. Like, right. you know, we had to build a little set for Madonna's room. And, right, that's right. And yeah. so we built yeah. that. But, you know, it's just using the same sort of architecture. And, and the, the process is like you arrive a week before and, and you basically go shopping? Do you go I, out yeah, I, you know, sourcing I, pieces for the rooms and for the sets? You, I mean, it depends on, you know, your budget. It depends right. on what the what you need to do but a lot of that happens before i get there right and then when i get there i already have a bunch of people that have researched certain right. and then um, you selected and then i selected an and then yeah. we do you know i bring an assistant and we start designing you know it's like once we're there we realize okay well this bedroom isn't going to work we're going to have to build one mm. so then i have to go you know i'm introduced through our local production company you know i'm introduced to introduced to a, you know some construction people and we start talking colors and materials and so on and so forth and then we mm. start building and it's just you know we sort of we do everything on the fly i mean yeah. you know there's certain things you know there's certain jobs now where they're they're more technical where you really have to send this crazy list of things right. and information right. very detailed information because when you get there we don't have that much time right. and we have to get it all together but for the most part you know when they're sort of more creative jobs sort of like madonna or a lot of those music videos you know it's basically when we get there, we just figure out what the material, who we have, what these people can do, and right. we, we, we right. wing it. It seems that you're quite instinctual with your creative mm -hmm. process. And this is why I wanted to talk to you about, about growing up in Paris and, and, and your early years and everything like that. Because I think that, that it, it's that sort of life experience that allows you to have these correct instincts. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And they can still be applied here also, you mm. know, in America or in South America or wherever I mm. work, you know, because I have a fairly good, um, I've had, a, you know, some learnings as a young child and I've seen, you know, I used to, you know, our field trips when I was a kid were to cathedrals. You know, right. We'd go to Chartres and we'd go to Beauvais and, yeah. you know, and see all these these places, you know, and so I think, yeah, I mean, I feel like instinctuality is super important, you know, because you just have to go with your gut feeling. You have to find mm. something mm. that, I mean, it's... And have you always trusted that? Or was it something that you had to learn pretty to much. trust? No, yeah. no, pretty much, you know, yeah. and I feel like a lot of my, you know, I've been very fortunate that a lot of my work that led to other work is based on that type of design, sort mm. of very intuitive designing, you mm. know, where... You know, it's all about, you know, grittiness and textures mm. and, 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 you know, I, I, I did a video for um, Jay-Z, right. 99 Problems, and, you know, it was a pretty famous video. And the, uh, about six months later, I got an email from Mark Romanek, who directed this video, and he said, you know, I gave your name to so-and-so. He saw your, your work in this video, and he wants to hire you for a movie. Amazing. So one thing will lead to another, but it was based on, you know, some very sort of natural design, you know, uh, basically that video, the, the 99 Problems video is a video where people would say, well, what did you do? Right. You know, but it's what you do is add a feeling, the, the, uh, a flavor to it. The, the, add a know, flavor, a just a natural, and, yeah. and, you know, personal flavor, you yeah. know, that yeah. um, can't always be seen and then can't always be yeah, defined. Yeah, my aesthetic, you, I mean, I've never, it. listen, I'm never going to be hired to do a Star Trek movie. I'm right. not going to be hired to do, you know, some Hollywood, you know, kids movie right. you know, about babysitters. You know, right. That's not my thing. Right. I'm going to get hired, you know, like to do, you know, old, gritty, instinctual design. Yeah. 
Yeah, perfect. Projects. Well, let, let's bring up, bring um, bring it up a bit more to modern day before we move on and talk about your your book. I know you've worked on, on recently with um, Merton Marcus a, lo- a lot, an amazing photographer, photographic team, and and you worked on on Gucci with them. Can you talk us through that process? Because I, I I joked about you turning up and just having a, a lamp, but I remember you, I think you told me about a certain job of where 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 you worked and worked and worked and had all this. Uh, references and thing and then it ended up just being oh, yeah, a, a but covered I mean, wall yeah i mean i've 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 done jobs with merton marcus who are amazingly talented photographers yeah. but that are insane at the same time <laughs> but i love them thank god um no but i mean i've been but to talk to us about your experience on, on on say fashion and how it compares to doing film well, fashion, I mean, first of all, my introduction to fashion, I, I got introduced to fashion a little, you know, a little later in my career and mm. w- much to my chagrin because, the, you know, the finances in fashion are right. a lot greater than in commercials <laughs> or, or film. But um, I was... Well, one, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, work on fashion. There you but go. Um, uh, no, I was introduced to, to fashion uh, in, a, in a kind of funny way. I, I, when I was working with Michael Hausman on all these these commercials and videos back in the day, he was represented by a French company in Paris called La Pac. Mm-hmm. And um, so I got to know La Pac just because I did all these jobs with them. And about 10 years ago, I got a call from the owner of La Pac, and he goes, you know, I'm doing this commercial with David Lynch and for Gucci, mm. and I think you would be perfect because you're American. However, you know France, you speak French, you know where, you know, and you're pretty, it's a perfect match. And I was right. like, I'm in. So I fly to, New- to Paris and do this commercial with, you know, one of the greatest directors ever. But, and it's through, on that commercial that I met the Gucci people. Right. And they introduced me to Merton Marcus and so on and so forth. They had a contract with Merton Marcus mm. and they wanted to work with me because mm. they liked my work on the David Lynch thing. And so one thing led to another and then Merton Marcus introduced me to other jobs. And yeah, that's how I got involved in fashion. That's where I realized... Damn, I should have been doing this for 15 years because the money here is insane and the hours are easy, you right, know, yeah. and you're working the with a lot of pretty girls. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, but anyways, uh, so I, I, that's, that was my introduction to him through David Lynch, who, like I said, is one of the greatest directors of all time. Yeah. And I met Ricardo Rini, who's a very talented art director and had the Gucci account back in the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, with Merton Marcus, I remember once we were doing this campaign for Mew Mew. Yeah. And so they fly me to London and we build these huge sets and furniture and this and that. Cut to us in the parking lot of Spring Studios <laughs> in the rain, under umbrellas, shooting against a white polyboard. There you go. Yeah. See, that's all the glamour of fashion. Exactly. Right there. <laughs> Let's start talking about your your book that you've just put out. It's called um, Diary of a Set Designer, and it's a book basically of Polaroids that, that, that you took over the years and, and collected and uh, put into put into book form, obviously. And um, it, and it was art directed by Fabian Baron, and the Ford was done by um, Malcolm Vanville, Malcolm Vanville yeah. of course. And uh, and it's a beautiful piece, and and it, and it's so interesting to to see. Uh, to see the eye you have, because I really love the the abstract graphic nature of a lot of the of the photos, and I think it also just goes back to the idea of, of and, and Malcolm's a great photographer as well. He's a director, but um, it goes back to the idea that that 
which I'm only just coming to, is, is that, that if you're a creative, you're a creative. And, and, and it's whether you're doing set design or you're picking up the camera. It, it, it's like if you have a creative eye, you can be creative no matter what the format. And I think you've done some um, beautiful photographs over the years with, with your Polaroid camera. Uh, just talk to us, uh, tell us a bit more about the book and, and uh, how it started out. And uh, yeah, take yeah, us through. No, no. I mean, the book is, so the book is, uh, is about 20 years in the making. Mm. Uh, and, and, and the way it started, I mean, a lot of it, if you read the introduction of the book, um, you know, you'll, I'm just going to basically repeat what I say there, but it's. <laughs> It's a book to, of Polaroids, and, and, mm. and like I say in my introduction, the Polaroid, my book Polaroid camera was the first thing that I would pack when I would go off on a job, you know, even before my measuring tape, because I never actually packed a measuring tape. <laughs> I'd pack my Polaroid and some clothes and a passport, and um, because that was my tool. That's yeah. what I used every day, whether it was to take pictures of locations or props or people, whatever. I just mm. always had a Polaroid, and I would bring my Polaroid, buy about 10, 10 packs of Spectra film, yeah. and, um, and go off on a trip. Yeah. And I, I, was, I, I was out in Los Angeles at the Chateau, and I was going through a bunch of Polaroids, and I was just throwing them out, you know, because I, you know, after a job or a mid-job, I'd, I'd have like 100 Polaroids, right. you know, and it's just like they'd take up room, and they were all over the place, so I'd be throwing them out, and my assistant stopped me and said, wait a second, this is a great picture. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not bad, you know. Let me just put it over here, and then oh, this one's not bad either. And so long, and you know, make a long story Suddenly. short, um, I had you know shoe boxes and, yeah. sh- and shoe boxes of Polaroids that I've kept over the years, you know, yeah. and you know, and I, and I and I always thought of you know it'd be great to do a book, you know. Mm. So back in the you know about fifteen twenty years ago, I went to see you know different people here in Los Angeles or in New York, different publishers, and they were like, well, I don't know, you know, they're not enough celebrities, and right. there's not enough, uh, you know, Polaroids <laughs> are still around, you know, it's yeah. not defunct yet, so... Right. Oh, which is true. Which is yeah. true, back yeah. in the day, and I was like, fair enough, but I don't yeah. want to make a book about celebrities, no. you know, and I didn't really even know what kind of a book I wanted to make, I just thought they were cool pictures, and, mm. you know, it'd be nice to make a book. So anyway, the book that I made was a photo album that sat on my coffee table. <laughs> but nonetheless, people would come over to my house and um, flip through it and go, this is amazing. You should publish it. You should publish it. So cut to 2014, I think it was, or end of 2013. Uh, I'm doing a job with Fabian Barron um, in Iceland. Mm. And one night we're in our hotel and we're just talking and I'm starting to tell him about the project. And he just looks up and he goes... I'll do your book. That's it. And I was like, really? And see, and see, this, folks, this is how it happens. This, this is, how is it this happens. Is, this is also long relationships. And then, like, have you, did you have a the long ir- relationship? Actually, with him the or irony not? is, I have not had a long relationship with Fabian. He just Fabian, recognized raw talent. He did yeah. absolutely. Yeah. He just <laughs> picked me up the, out of the crowd and made my book. No, what happened is, I actually, I had met Fabian. When Harris Savitas, this cinematographer that I was telling right. you about, passed away, he was very close to Harris. Right. A lot of people in the fashion world were close to right. Harris. And um, I bumped into Fabian, and I just said, you know, I'm so sorry about Harris. And he looked at me, and he goes, we don't really know each other, but I know who you are. And mm. I introduced myself, and mm. we just sort of talked about Harris for a second, and that was it. A few years later, and back in 2013 or something... Fabian got a Gucci spot. Right. 
And um, Gucci was like, okay, you can do it, but you have to use happy masses. And he was like, who's happy? You know, I was with Stefan Beckman, you know, and I don't, you know, they said, well, we work with happy. So that's like amazing. Yeah. So we end up in Paris and Fabian is French. I'm not technically French, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, I kind of am. Um, and we're more or less the same age and we hit it off, you know, yeah. and we became really good friends. And yeah. so anyways, then we did this job in Iceland and that's when he offered to do the book. Right. And I was so excited and I met at the same time, I met a publisher that wanted to do the book. So everything was sort of falling into place. Only problem was is Fabian is extremely busy yeah. and it took over two and a half years well, that, yeah, to get the book. Okay. Yeah. But anyways, the book is, the book is now out and it's published by Damiani and you can get it on Amazon. Right. $50. Yeah. And but it's beautifully laid out and the simplicity of it and, and, and the pencil notations, yeah. I think are beautiful. And, and you can tell that there's, you know, and, uh, and I will say, because he's a master, a master's hand in, in the layouts and the design of it, and the, the book looks absolutely beautiful. Well, I think it's because of the, the nature of the pictures. Of course. Well, I'm talking <laughs> no. more about no, the, no, no, yeah, but, but you know, the, the, no, the layout. No, absolutely, 100%, the, yeah. you know, because, I mean, the funny thing is that, um, you know, there were... But to elevate, to, 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 to just, to elevate a Polaroid to this piece to, of art. Yeah, And abso- I think that, that to, for, to have mm-hmm. his eye pass over it and with things, I think, is, 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 is fantastic. No, I just sort of like to bust his balls a little bit. <laughs> he, um, no, he did an amazing job. And he, my thing is of the, I think there are 140 images in the book. I think they're about, you know, 70 that I wanted to use. And then right. I let him pick the rest. Right. And then he did all the pairing. Oh, he did all the pairing. Mm. He did the layout and all of that, which, mm. you know... It's, 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 it's a tricky one for me because I know the pictures. I've been living with them for 20 yeah. years, and so I'm not as objective as you know, someone like you yeah. who's, who's seen the book for the first time. But oh, and, I, and I love it. I mean, and, and it's just as I was saying before, the, the graphic nature, the, the detailed shots, the, it, just the, the idea of, of space and time and location. And, and, and what I've noticed as, as someone that grew up in the 90s is that the 90s have become an era that is so well-defined now. It, it has a feel to it. it it's just like that just before the digital age. I mean, it's the last, it's the last analog era. There's some beautiful pictures. Take us, tell me about um, your photographic process. Like, uh, well, first of all, I, what I, what I want to say is, you know, the, the title of the book is very misleading because right. people think, oh, you did a book on, you know, production design or on set design. Mm. And if you flip through the book, there are only two pictures of sets that I've designed. Right. I think there are only two. Um, everything else is locations, yeah. people. And Mal- I think Malcolm wrote something like it, it, it's, it's like photos around the, the edges of, of, the, of the set. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. These, these, you know, I would say 90% of the pictures were taken when I was on location working mm. on something. There are a couple of pictures that were, you know. Holiday pictures, right? <laughs> but and so, what, what's your photographic so process? Is I it just, just you see it, you it, shoot I it? I see it, I shoot it. It's either because of the geometry of the picture, mm. or it's because of you know, like if you look at the twins and you know the the. the there's, a, there's a picture of these twins in Chicago, and they look yep. like Siamese twins. Right, and it looks like right. A, um, yeah, because you really do see patterns in the world, and 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 the the graphic nature of your your photography really comes through. I mean, we're talking, uh, uh, we're looking at a photo right now of Marianne in Madagascar. 
And, and the, the balance of this photo is fantastic. You know, it's you know, the subject center right, and the, there's this classic composition to it, and the, the colors and the light, it all forms a classic, beautiful photograph. And this is something that, 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 that take this, we just picked one at random, well, I did. Um, can you remember much about yeah, this I photograph? Mean, and um, I mean, I remember this whole trip. Mad uh, Marianne um, is called Marianne Oudoujan, and mm -hmm. she had a company called Toka, uh -huh. which in the early oh, course, 90s yeah. was a huge oh, fashion company. And yeah, she, now um, I recognize her, yeah. She designed these little flowery dresses. Yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. Came all models, the supermodels had on. All the supermodels yeah. wore them. Yeah. And she, I had, um, well, this was sort of like a, a trip that we took to Madagascar. It was an inspirational trip because she was launching a perfume. Mm. And she wanted me to design the, the perfume launch. Mm. And so we went on this trip just to sort of inspire ourselves. And right. we ended up in Madagascar. And, um, and, see, and that's so 90s as well. That is just, so 90s, to, to yeah. Take a trip for inspiration and, and let, allow yourself to breathe and, and allow yourself to, to be creative. I mean, that's... Uh, Absolutely. And yeah. so Carolina Herrera, Mariana and I, or Carolina Herrera Jr., and Mariana and I um, went to Madagascar, and then we went to the Reunion Islands and right. just sort of found everything that we wanted or all the inspiration that we mm. needed to do this thing. And we came back to New York and built it at the Armory and launched her perfume. Mm. And the picture, I mean, it was just, you know, we were just scouting. We were just looking at stuff. And I, saw, I, re I do remember actually thinking, you know, just stop, take a step back, mm. took the picture, only one because right. it's a Polaroid, exactly. yeah. and you can't get Films Polaroid. expensive. It's not even a question of expensive. It's just you can't get it in Madagascar. No, I can't imagine so a you Polaroid. Have, you know, so. you have two ten packs left. You take yeah. one picture. It's one. not when you like today when you're going to just do a burst. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. Um, and you can't, you know, you can't fix it. The, again. There's no filter. There's nothing. Yeah. You know, it's not like Instagram where you can, you know, go off and, you know. But I, but I know you, 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 you always get asked about this about Instagram. But it, it, you say there's no filter, but the the film is a filter. The lens yeah. is a filter. Well, the the colors that have come out here are, are so muted and so beautiful, and and the light has become so soft, and the contrast is so easy in in the photograph that this is these this is where those filters came from. Right, for but us I mean, this is still you know people. exactly. But this is still analog film, you know, yeah. it's, and it's you know it's Polaroid. Polaroid had its had its own thing, yeah, you know. And, you know, it, what's amazing to me is that the pictures have actually kept up. Right. I mean, this picture is 1997. You're looking at a picture that's 20 years old or yeah. 19 years old, and mm -hmm. it's still, you know, I mean, there were a few scratches that we fixed, but, right. you know, other than that. But, but if you scroll down, photo. I mean, you know, all my images are... Either they capture, you know, a, a child or they capture, mm -hmm. you know something very graphic or like, mm. you know, or you're scrolling in front of this, this flea market in, 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 in Mexico City and all these tools were just laid out. Right. You know, and it, oh, it was so this, such these weren't stuck on the wall. Was no, this all on this the floor? Is, this That's is amazing. Floor. And that's how but they're selling from. And, this is how, yeah, and these wow. are all second-hand tools. You know, so there's just hundreds of, hundreds of spanners. But, and, and, uh, uh, but the precision uh, at yes. which they're laid out, you mm. know, it looks like there's, you know, like an inch between, you know, a mm. perfect inch between every spanner, you yeah, know. exactly. And these are just, you know, that's my friend Matt. Um, that was a set that we built. So we're looking at a, a bedroom in San Francisco, which is, which is now, you look at it, it does 
feel like a set, but it's also a beautiful representation of it. It looks like, yeah, it's sort of based on Stanley Kubrick. Right. You know, on a set from one of his movies. Yeah. Um, the Shining. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, it remote, <laughs> to totally reminds me of The Shining. Well, that so was the inspiration behind yeah. it, you know. Yeah, yeah and um, it's a uh, red rum, red rum, but it's this um, incredible red rum. You'll have to buy the book, obviously. Um, but I will Instagram a couple of these photos on the Daddy OFM uh, Instagram so you mm -hmm. can see, especially the ones we mentioned. But it, it, the, the, it's amazing you say that because uh, before you even said Stanley Kubrick or The Shining, I was about to say it feels like it's from the hotel. Right. You know? Yeah, well, that's, that was the inspiration yeah. behind it, you know. Amazing. Um, well, let's scroll through and see a couple more and see what else comes through. And there's, there's some Jack White's drums. And, uh, and then there's no, Jack White. Jack White. <laughs> and there's, and, um, uh, but this I love. There's just a, a pair of chairs on, on the gravel. It's in Portland. And, and uh, what, what draw, draws you to this thing? Is it just the, the graphic just nature? The, the graphic, yeah, the, you know, yeah. The, the two chairs, the shadow and, the, the, you know, the pebbles that they're sitting on. And it was in, a, it, it was in like this little salvage antique place. And mm. I just saw them and I... Took a picture and left. There's another one here. Is um, it's, I can't read that. Is it? In, it's in Miami. In Miami, and there's this rolls of, of, of wire, rolls yeah. of wire. You know, construction wire. And, and there's beautiful kind of ochre uh, roll, rusted out rolls of wire that that that, that, uh, that I thought at first glance were rolls of uh, material, but now to know the yeah, the now they're construction wire. And and the thing is, it's like you know, I could have done five different books. Right. I could have done a book on just repetitive patterns like yeah. this. Yeah. I could have done a book on people. I could have done a book on the Brazil girls. Yeah. I could have done, you know, and we chose not to do that, obviously, because, you know, I couldn't afford it. But, you know, I thought one book would be enough. Yeah. But so, you know, I have a lot of books on, I mean, a lot of images that are just repetitions. Yeah, but I love, I love that, that, that. And not everyone sees those patterns in the world until it's presented to them. Right. And, and, and to have that eye now, this woman, patterns. Yeah. This woman, who's probably like in her 80s, mm -hmm. had never seen a picture of herself. Oh, wow. And and this is from um, Port Antonio in Jamaica, in Jamaica. from 95. She had yeah. never seen a picture of herself. And so I took two Polaroids. Yeah. And in the second one that I took, she's holding right. the, the other Polaroid. And I was like, Fabian, isn't this a better picture yeah. where she's actually holding the picture? It's exactly she's sitting the same way and looking at me, except in her left hand, she's holding this Polaroid. The first one that she's ever seen that I took. Yeah. And you can tell in her, in her expression that she's still, even though she's still posing for me in a way, she, her oh, eyes she won't. really wants to look yeah. down. And see. Because also, you know, as we all know, the process of the Polaroid, you know, it's a two-minute process, right. you know. And she kept seeing, you know, I, I could tell that she was just sort of like mesmerized by this image of herself that was appearing. And right. It was fantastic. But That's amazing. This is actually a better picture. Yeah. That's a classic portrait. Yeah. Um, but let, let's scroll for, let's go scroll to the, the, the one of the more hilarious stories is, is the uh, oh, Fabio. with Fabio. Yeah. Well, that's all the way at the end, but I mean, end. I can tell the story. Yeah, tell the story. So I'm, I'm driving down uh, La Brea, yeah. and my assistant is in the car, and we pull up with a light, and Fabio is in his Mercedes mm. to my left, and I'm like, Denise, hand me, you know, hand me my, hand me my Polaroid. So she hands me the Polaroid, and I discreetly, you know, right. point it in his direction, and he puts his hand up, yeah. like right away. Yep. And uh -huh. I was like, 
Um, yeah, no selfies. And so I, 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 I lower the camera, you know, and I'm like, I sort of give him this apologetic look, and he just gives me the finger. Not the not, finger. Not uh, the finger. Happy's really, actually holding yeah, up one finger my, as in one moment. My index finger. This is radio. And he hits the sunroof. Yeah. The sunroof <laughs> opens. This perfect shaft of life comes down on him, and he turns to me and smiles and nods like, now I can All take right, the picture. Now you can take the photo. And Fabio is ready. It's a classic picture. It's, no, it's further up. But the best thing about it is above it, it says discount. <laughs> and I've never actually noticed it. Um, I'm just trying to find it here. Keep going. Keep going. It's before this. This is riveting radio for everybody. <laughs> Listen, they just didn't have it. to buy the book. Oh, no. Yeah, no, that's not it. Oh, oh there he is. Yeah, okay. Ah, oh, yeah. And there's, there's in the background, there's a there's a building, big building, and it says discount on it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then Fabio is is, is sleeveless and looking his glamorous best Self. in the LA sunshine. <laughs> and um, yeah. So that's the Fabio story. Oh, that's great. Um, and is, is, there, is there another story? Is there another moment from the book you want to talk to us about? Oh yeah, let's. Say we wanted to talk to you about the the time in in, in Brazil and um, this. Uh, well, uh, yeah, take it. So the, well, the, the, there's a. It's the only there's a moment. Series, yeah. yeah, it's the only moment in the book where there's actually a bit of a series. Yeah. And, um, I wasn't too keen on doing that. I was thinking, you know, because I have enough of these pictures that I could just do a, do a, a, whole, book. Full, a whole book on this. Mm. But um, we, you know, Fabian decided to keep him in, and I was like, I'm not going to argue with him. Yeah. But the, um, the, so it's, a, it's this street or this, this neighborhood that is no longer existent. I think they, they, they tore it down for the Olympics, for the Olympics and, yeah. or for the World Cup. Right. But it was this area that was right next to a barrio, and it was called Villa Mimosa. Mm-hmm. And I was, in, I was shooting a commercial in, 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 Brazil, in Rio, and my assistant one night took me, wanted to take me to bars, and he wanted to take yeah. me to all these places. And show you so, real Brazil. Show me real Brazil. So we yeah. go to these Bossa Nova clubs, and we yeah. go to this, you know, the Santa Teresa, all these places that are kind of touristy and really mm. not my thing, you right. know. So I'm like, this is cool, but, you know, I'd never been to Brazil. I was there ahead of time. My whole crew hadn't arrived yet from right. New York, you know, so I was there on my own. So I was sort of forced into this, to being chaperoned around. Mm. And he um, finally we run into this guy. He runs into this guy that's toothless, you know, and looks a little homeless. And but they knew each other, right. and so he's explaining. And you know, because I grew up in Europe and it's Portuguese, I can kind of understand. Mm. I realized that the guy was asking him what he was doing. He told him that he was chaperoning me around, and he said, "Well, why don't you take him to Vila Mimosa?" Right. And he's like, "Yeah, I can't take him to Vila Mimosa. I can't take him there. I can't take him there." And I was like. I you can take to, happy days. <laughs> so we drive to this place. It's um, next to a favela. That's what I meant, not a barrio. It was next right. to a favela, about 20 minutes out of ta- town. Yeah. And we parked the car on a, you know, a completely dark street. Mm. No lights, nothing. And we're walking there, puddles of water. There's you know, stray dogs. But you know. your, your New York uh, senses By ringing York, at the moment. I, that's I, your I, spidey I, senses were like, this is this maybe is, not where we should be. No, I was like, this is where I want to be for right. sure. Yeah. But. I'm a little nervous, you know, because yeah. I'm with these two guys that are skinnier than me. I'm, I'm you know, I'm like 150 pounds wet. So I was a little nervous. 
And then we make a left and we turn onto this street yeah. and it's a movie set out of a David right. Fincher movie. Right. So there's street lights. I mean, not street lights. They're um, Christmas lights dangling right. between buildings. All right. the buildings are painted this powder blue yeah. green, you know, mm. jukeboxes everywhere, blasting different kind of music. And yes, it's the street, the hooker street. Yeah. But for the locals. Right. Okay. It's right, only right, for right. the locals. So I was like the only gringo there. Yeah. So anyway, so we make a left down this street, and it was right out of a Blade Runner set. Um, there was this guy who was tattooing someone's back. It was drizzling, and all his inks were on a Pac-Man machine that was, that was laid on its side, but the machine was actually still running. And he looks up at me when he hears me come up behind him, and he has a patch on his eye. I mean, it was the most surreal kind of visual that I that right. I had. But anyway, so we're walking down this street and um I was just completely blown away. I mean it was just un- it looks incredible because the, the the jukebox that we're looking at now and it's like these are shot in two thousand and three, but the jukebox looks like it's from the mid seventies or, oh, or the, the you know early eighties or something like that. And it it really does seem like a it, moment caught in time and, and uh, it was and and it, you know, this, the, blo- the street was only a couple blocks long. Right. And it was just so animated. And, yeah. And even though... And what was were, the vibe like? Was it, everybody was it sleazy was or happy or Everybody's fun? Everybody's super right. happy. There was this guy that was walking around with stacks of clothes. Right. And he was like the designer that would sell these T-shirts and these ripped <laughs> T-shirts to the girls. Oh, uh, right, right, and right, right. Like, I mean, there was Brazilian. sort of a mood. Yeah. There was a mood that was like unparalleled. I mean, yeah. it was just... The music, the lighting, and, and uh, everybody's... Authentic reality. This is just, this is not and, a show for anyone. It's just, you've, you've happened upon something. Right. And I know that, yeah. you know, the underlying theme there is sleaze. And, you know, there's, you know, right. we, at one point we did, we did go by a little blow because not that I do it, but because we sort of had to partake in something, partake right. in something. Right. Just to not part feel, of the ceremony. Yeah, yeah. if you so go to Starbucks, just, you have to have a coffee. Exactly, so that you're not just you know. <laughs> Sorry, Starbucks. <laughs> um, but then, <laughs> so then we kept walking, and we go into darkness again. Right. And then we make another turn, and that's when we show up in this this other little block, which was the heavy metal block. Okay. <laughs> and it was this club, and they're listening listening to Def Leppard, and they all have long hair and leather and yeah, this amazing. and that. Yeah. And then we did another turn after another little block of darkness, and it was the Hell's Angels block. Fantastic. And motorcycles hanging in trees. Fantastic. The whole thing. So, so these three sort what of... What a dream separate, sequence It was unbelievable. Was. Yeah. And, you know, it's like if they were going to shoot a movie there, I'd be yeah. out of a job. Everything yeah. <laughs> was just perfect. Yeah, you didn't have to do anything. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so what I, you know, I suggested... I brought my director back the next day. Right. And he was like, this place is amazing. Yeah. We got to do a shoot here. Yeah. So we got our production company to organize a shoot and mm. we came in with you know bodyguards right. and and lights and the whole thing yeah. and all the girls signed releases and yeah. we ju- he just did a photo shoot of all the girls amazing and i was just there on the side with my polaroid and just shooting them as they were waiting to get their picture yeah. taken or whatever so my yeah. i had this sort of candid mm. pictures of our our photo shoot yeah and they're beautiful and, and like the, the like that that uh powder blue color of, of the wall is incredible. It's just such it's a like a Tiffany blue. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, you're it's right. A Tiffany yeah. blue. They should yeah, do a with campaign. The, <laughs> with a half naked girl in front of a jukebox <laughs> yeah. in front of it. Exactly. <laughs> Very Tiffany. Very <laughs> Tiffany. 
Well, that's amazing, Happy, and congratulations on the book. Thank I you. Think it, I think it's beautiful, and it, and it is available now. There's, there's going to be some... some, um, some book signing in New York. On oh, where is there? When is there a book signing there's coming There's a book up? signing in New York on October 19th at okay. the Metrograph Theatre, which okay. is a new movie theatre, but because it's a diary of a production designer, I right. wanted to do it someplace yeah. that's sort of related, and it's an, a new movie theatre that is... A revival house. Oh, it's a revival it's house. A re- okay. It's a movie theater. It's a revival house in New York that just opened about six months ago. Oh, amazing! I didn't know. And they I have the bookstore, and, oh, and they have you know thirty-five millimeter projectors. Amazing! And, <laughs> and the book's great. available there. And the book will be is available there. It's available everywhere right now. But the book signing is going to happen October nineteenth. I had to wait for the end of Fashion Week and yeah. all of these other things. Yeah, but that's great. And and, and I'm hoping to get um, and listeners. I'm hoping this will be out before then. So if you're in New York City, pop down to the to the book signing. And, and, and look, we, we come back to this time and time again, is, is, is although it's great to buy it on Amazon, and please do, I think it's a, a, amazing to support artists and people doing their own projects. And this is, this is a, you know, years and years of Happy, Happy's work, and it's a real insight into his creativity and, and his sensibilities and his aesthetic. And, and, and it's like, get a, a book on your coffee table again, people. I know we have our, our iPads and our phones and everything, but, but this, it, to have something physical in your hand is a beautiful thing. So I really it's recommend a, yeah, you go you out You have to have this. something tactile in your hand. Yeah, It's exactly. like a newspaper. Yeah, and before we go, I just wanted to, to talk um, talk to you about a couple more things. Is is that I wanted to get to get your thoughts on on on, on movies that, that let's say movies that have, have inspired you over the years. And is there particularly we mentioned Kubrick before in The Shining, which is is a classic. And and if you haven't seen there seen that, get it, see it, see it five times because it's an incredible film. What what other movies um, uh, directors have been inspired you that you go back to over the years? Well, I would say first of all about Kubrick. I would say before The Shining, I would watch. A Clockwork Orange. Right, of course. That's yeah. you know my my ultimate Kubrick movie. Yeah. Um, you know other directors. I mean, obviously early Marty Scorsese. Mm-hmm. You know Mean Streets. Yeah. Um, Taxi Driver. Yeah. Um, Goodfellas. Yeah. I mean, uh, what, what do you find that comes out of, uh, out of uh, those creatively for you? Is it just? I just feel like you know for me it's you know when you do something it's 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 important to capture that moment mm. in time. Mm. And I feel that's one thing that, you know, Marty Scorsese does, you know, to the yeah. nth degree, well, just perfectly, you know, yeah. whether it's music, whether it's, right. you know, his use of the, the Rolling Stones or right. whatever. It just always... Yeah, it and, just, and I haven't watched Taxi Driver in, in, in years, but I've been thinking about it recently mm-hmm. because I, I, I saw it again about 10 years ago and I realized that, that I was living in this apartment on 13th Street where they shot the final scene. No uh-huh. spoilers. Right, right, And right. I'm, I'm sitting there watching it in that apartment. and uh, That's amazing. And I'm like, that's this building. And, uh, and if, you've seen the, the, uh, if, if you've seen the movie, which I'm sure you have, you'll know where it's, it's, a, it's a one where... Anyway, no anyway. spoilers. But go on. But, um, no, so, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, it's going to sound very cliched, you know, Francis Coppola, who did the Godfather series, right. you know. I mean, I did a movie um, a few years ago called The Immigrant with, um, Mar- with James Gray as the director, mm. Marion Cotillard and um, Joaquin Phoenix. And... I must admit, you know, we did inspire ourselves a little bit of Godfather 2 because it's a movie that took place in New York in the 1920s. You know, we were talking about how does 
growing up in Europe help you? I mean, that's, you know, it's sort of like being able to sort of re rebuild those textures, you know, right. add that that patina yeah. to, to a world that, you know, basically the only references for that period are Google images. Right. But you do all your homework, but you don't, you know, all the images are black and white. So right. yeah, in your head, you sort of have to translate the color. Right. And I feel, feel that almost the, um, the, the markets in, in Paris reflect the, the, those yeah. markets yeah. in early New York. Uh, no, absolutely. A hundred percent. And it does have that, that, that early kind of uh, early uh, nine, uh, 20th century vibe to it when you're in Paris. Yeah, yeah no, if you go to the flea markets and yeah. all that, I mean, you just get that. Right. You know, but I, I, as far as Coppola is concerned, you know, I mentioned him because he did sort of influence me not influence me directly but I mean I, I, I was you know I used his visual palette mm. to sort of create my world when mm. I did The Immigrant mm. um, a few years ago and then you know I mean obviously you know there's Wes Anderson mm-hmm. um, who is you know a dear friend of mine and you know an incredible talent you know I mean you look at the Royal Tenenbaums right. you look at the Grand Budapest Hotel yeah. I mean, and, I, and I actually see that, that, that kind of coming through in some of these photos as well yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the graphic nature and the, the patterns and, yeah, and that absolutely. sort of thing yeah. I mean but those are you know those are some of my favorite directors and of course David Lynch and you know I mean I've I've had the opportunity to work with Scorsese, Lynch, and Wes Anderson. And, you know, so uh, not Kubrick, obviously, nor Francis Ford Coppola, but it's such a p- pleasure. And it's so inspiring working yeah. with these people right. because, you know, it's like, yes, I have to – I bring something to to the picture, you know, to the production. Right. But if it weren't for those people – right. And do, do you having worked with the, the the those again those masters of of their craft? Is, is can you think of a, a commonality that they had? Is there something that the, that they all had that you noticed? No, they all have their own thing. Right. David Lynch, you know, is like just his inspiration. You know, if it's because of his, you know, his his meditation or whatever. I, you just wake up in the morning. Usually your alarm goes off at 5.30 when you have to go to set and you're like, oh my God. And then, <laughs> oh shit, I'm working with Lynch. Right. And you shift gears <laughs> and you get to set on time because it's just it's everything. You know, yeah. Every time he opens his mouth, you know, there's just something that right. comes out that's just like inspiring. And, you know, working with, you know, Wes Anderson, we worked with, you know, we did some commercials together. Unfortunately, I didn't do a movie with him, mm. but he's so precise and right. he's the so precision. prepared. Yeah. So prepared that he comes to set, and he's not someone that comes to tech scouts. He doesn't do any of that stuff. You only, I, you know, had to meet with him before, but otherwise, nobody meets him until he comes to set. And he comes, and he knows exactly what he mm. wants, and he delivers, and mm. we end early. I mean, it was just unbelievable. So you know, it's just everybody has their own. You know, For David sure. David Fincher. You know, I worked with him a few times, and he has his own brand of. But you know, they all bring out the best in you, right? You know, right? And that's, right. Well, that's, then maybe that's the commonality. Yeah. Then, well, that's, is, absolutely. It, yeah. You know, and it's different. Every, yeah. Everybody brings out something different in you, but they mm. bring out the best in you. You can tell the quality of your work is reflected by who you you were working with at the time. Right. You yeah. know, and yeah. I think that's you know that's for me is important when you work with you know some new directors. You know, and they don't, they're not really sure what they want. It's a little wishy washy, and you're just like, really? Yeah, and listen, the classics are, are, are a classic 
for a reason, and it was because they're good. I mean, yeah. the Godfather, the Godfather one and two and three um, are incredible films. Oh, forget three, they, yes, forget three, and they <laughs> they stand up and 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 and, and the scores are like Goodfellas is an incredible film and and it's unbelievable, just, yeah, and they stand up today and the Casino, yeah, and Casino, and, and Casino. I've been dying to watch again. I haven't it's, seen that in years. And I, I, I mean, yeah. I hate to say this, but I I prefer it over Goodfellas. Right, and yeah. and I think I only saw that I think maybe once or twice and so I haven't seen that in, in 20 years and maybe and so that is I've been thinking about that recently that I want to see Casino mm -hmm. again because it, it, I think it's a, a modern classic that's often overshadowed by a lot no, of absolutely, yeah. absolutely yeah well happy great that's been an amazing chat and thank you so great. much uh, for coming on congratulations for about me. the book um, and now where where can people see you on on Instagram and social media and, and your website well, and they can see me on Instagram at Perhaps. 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 <laughs> and it's per underscore haps, H-A-P-S. Yeah, follow him on Instagram and um, do yourself a favor because he's an amazing talent, an old friend of mine, and I'm so glad he came on. I really appreciate it. And that was a great chat. And, um, I, and I just to have, have to mention on. one thing because uh, I know it's going to hurt your kind, yeah. your people. <laughs> yeah. So I'm also dyslexic and I'm a terrible speller. Right. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> being Australian, <laughs> when you get right. into the pictures of Sydney, yeah. I wrote the name instead of the town. Yeah, so it's spelled S-I-D-N-E-Y. -E and believe <laughs> me, he's been very upset about it. And I'm just like happy that's just part uh, of this. It's, it's that's the, what makes it the one imperfection that makes it perfect. Perfect, exactly. Right. Thank you. Thanks again, Happy. Bye-bye. See you soon. See you. Well, thanks again to Happy for joining us, and thank you for listening. It really is a pleasure to bring these stories of such talented people to you, our listener. But please, do me a favor. It will only take you a minute or two and will really help grow our show. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Each review increases our visibility, and it's a huge help. And don't forget to recommend us to a friend. Follow me on Instagram, at jbookalil, and you can see all the photos we talked about on our website, daddyofm.com. Happy's book, Diary of a Set Designer, is a, such a gorgeous book, and I highly recommend it to you all. A great gift for the holidays, and for only $50, it really is great value. And I think Happy's story is one of a, of a life well-lived. Paris, New York, everywhere else in between. But it's what he took in through all those years that sets him apart and defines his aesthetic. So wherever you are, be inspired, look around, explore, find something that moves you. Have a good foundation in the classics and then trust your instincts. Because more often than not, your first thought is the correct one. And finally, we'd like to dedicate this podcast to Happy's brother, Michael Massey, a talented actor who recently passed away not long after we recorded this episode. My thoughts and prayers go out to his family, especially his two kids. So remember to love and appreciate your family and friends. Life could be too short. Taking us out of the Talking Heads. Daddy-o out. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Same as it ever was.
I'm out.